Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 13, Battle Lines, teleplay by Richard Danis and Evan Carlos Summers and directed by Paul Lynch. This episode aired on April 25th, 1993. I hate these battle lines. This week on Deep Space Nine, a runabout carrying Kaio Paka crashes on a planet of eternal war, where it's impossible for the combatants to die. And uh, this week, our friend Anya is back. Hi, Anya. Hi. You will remember that Anya was on our episode Dax previously yes um i guess i'm just gonna try to show up anytime there's a good episode with kira or jadzia or any of the (laughs) upcoming ladies that i love (laughs) all the ladies awesome well welcome back anya (laughs) we're we're happy to have you here happy to be here so let's just go into kind of our initial thoughts of the episode and i guess i'll I'll start with you elise what did you think of season one episode 13 battle lines um, I really enjoyed this episode. Um, I didn't remember it from when I first watched it. Um, I guess when I, like, I guess it was, I don't know, I guess it was sometime last year. Um, I feel like a lot of the earlier episodes, I was kind of still getting into DS9, so I didn't remember the premise because I might have had it on while I was doing something else. Um, but um, I really liked it. I found... Um, it to be really interesting and it had some fun choreography I thought um I really liked the battle scenes in it like the first one where they were doing all the shooting it just felt like very laser tag (laughs) (laughs) I don't mean that in an insulting way it was just like they were hiding behind rocks and shooting lasers at each other and here it does that like fun duck and roll maneuver and um it's like a classic kirk move right like a duck a good duck and roll yeah anyone shirt rip (laughs) and even the scene um i don't remember (laughs) actually um oh there was another scene where um the kai was talking about a doorway into the unknown about the wormhole and i started singing into the unknown by from frozen 2 which listeners may not realize is is my jam i've seen that movie probably seven or eight times so I um I love Frozen too, it's just great. So anyway, I thought it reminded me of that. Anya, what about you? Why did why did you what did what were your kind of thoughts initial thoughts on on battle lines? And I guess yeah, no. What were your initial thoughts on battle lines? Um. Well, I feel like I actually turned it into that Tiffany Pollard gif when I saw Jonathan Banks. I was like, Jonathan Banks, <laughs> what are you doing here? Um, but I love this episode because it has a, um, like, top three Kira scene, in my opinion. And I don't know. I just, I really love the themes of it. What then were some of the, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it a bit later, kind of in the course of the discussion. But I guess for, for our listeners and stuff right now, what, as you see it, were some of the themes of the episode that you connected with? Um, I think sort of the motivation of, you know, defense versus violence and well no okay sorry i'm trying to be very specific um like self-defense versus when a when violence comes from a place of spite because of how 
the time loop worked and see now i'm introducing like the concepts sorry um but um, <laughs> but i i don't know i guess i just sort of like the themes of forgiveness and how i, I like kira nuris <laughs> that's why i'm here actually <laughs> <laughs> I felt that the theme of forgiveness in this episode was something that I that really resonated me with me as well. Um, and I'll get into it a little bit more later, but it's it's something I'm always trying to remind myself of. Specifically with the self, I think. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to do with kind of like identity in this episode. And like we we've kind of touched on it already a little bit, but like this is, I don't know how much of, like, a stealth Kira episode this is, but, like, it is very much a Kira episode in terms of, like, it's an ex, like, it has these, like, larger themes, but really, like, the personal individual impacts of this episode are on, on Kira. And it's, like, why I say it's kind of, like, a stealth Kira episode, it, it's not, it's not like some of the other episodes we've seen like dax is an example where dax is the plot is happening to dax and dax is the central the titular character in that episode um the titular role um <laughs> but like the things are happening to her that, that is driving kind of the main forces of the plot whereas with this it's like kira is involved in it and there's that really strong scene between kira and opaka um but like kira's part of the ensemble but it still is very much like Akira episode and I think too like the way the episode starts it has that really good bit about finding the old files of you know what Cardassian intelligence thought of like Kira's value and you know role in the Bajoran underground and the Bajoran resistance and she has this really fun like reaction to it how like they got it all wrong and say she's like a, a minor player and just a courier and all these things and she's really like upset by it However, when we're talking about these things of, like, identity and forgiveness and things like that, um, the episode could have easily just has been titled, like, A History of Violence, because it is Kira reconciling with that and the ways in which violence has grown to define her identity and her sense of self, right? So it's... I think there's, a, there's some really strong kind of themes and character moments trapped in what i feel is like a pretty on the on on face value is a pretty kind of average episode of star trek mm. yeah yeah i feel like the plot is not something that's that original like it's been done before but i don't I mean, think you see that, it in that... yeah but i don't think it takes away from the themes which is good like i don't think it lessens the or cheapens the themes just because it's a storyline that's been done, you know, so many times where two groups can't get along and they don't even remember why. I do love that we open on, like, the main crew looking at the Cardassian burn book, essentially. And who would that have belonged to initially? Like, whose notes were those? They said the last prefect. So was so... it all Ducats then? That would, yeah, I, I don't know if the episode's, like, super interested in drawing that comparison, but we know from previous episodes that Ducat was in Cisco's office two weeks before Cisco was there. Right. So we can assume that it's Gal Ducat. Which is interesting, because when he sees Kira in a previous episode, he was like, yeah, I never could catch you. So, like, why is he considering her a PA? Like, what is going on there? 
I feel like they were specifically made to get under her skin. I kind of got that impression also. And it's funny that it kind of worked and it did. Like I was, I had kind of amused by that. And I have more on that scene to say later. It's a great scene. Yeah. So I guess before we move into the kind of meat and, and kind of a character breakdown of, of the episode, Anya, you have some really interesting kind of modern day parallels in the notes. So I was curious if you could talk about those a little bit more. Well, due to current events, I think that the popular comparison between, um, Cardassia and Bejor has been Israel and Palestine as sort of like a settler colonial state and the occupied. Um, I had always sort of considered to be closer to what Japan had intended to do to China as like strip them of their resources and other um, horrible things that are touched on in later episodes, but, um, and are probably happening in, uh, probably happening in Israel and Palestine, of course. I'm just not as familiar because it hasn't like happened in historical notes yet. Um, but, yeah, I think with what's going on right now, it's sort of the go-to and obvious comparison. It kind of brought some of that up for me, too. I found that aspect of it to actually be, like, a lot to watch after what's been going on the last two weeks. Um, yeah, it's... DS9 will always be, in my opinion, the most relevant Star Trek. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we had the episode a little, you know, we were watching Babel a few, you know, like a couple months ago, and that really resonated because of COVID. And obviously, we couldn't have known that that would happen, but it just does feel like there's so many relevant um, topics in it. Without a doubt. Um, and I, I don't, I really love how personal DS9 gets with these. Um, even when I think you're frustrated with the, oh man, I'm forgetting the aliens that we run into here. Um, the Ennis? The Ennis. Ennis and the Nor Ennis or something? And the Noel Ennis. So it's called, right. kind of like opposite groups. I, I assume Noel was just like a, a negative version of the Ennis. Which I think yeah. is funny that they had it where the group that we met is was like, the one without the the prefix in it. I don't know. <laughs> Scrappy. Um, but yeah, I think that you can always understand where they're coming from. You know, they've been trapped in this cycle for ages. And it would be, of course, extremely hard to trust any outsider or the people who have been killing you for, like, how, how long had they said? Had they said? They said at least decades, right? Yeah, they were really vague about it. Um, they kept, I think, um, Shala said it's felt like an eternity. I don't think that they were very specific, but I got the impression that it was probably decades. Right. I mean, if, do we want to talk about the Federation's stance on this? Yeah. <laughs> do Do we have enough time? This could be its whole other podcast. Oh, God. Yes, please, please, please <laughs> yes, do. I think I think we are ready for that. <laughs> I hate the Federation so much sometimes, and by so much, I mean most of the fucking time, my god. Yeah. They're very frustrating. Like, as much as I get it, it's like, yes, we must be the most centrist possible. Ugh. It really, um, it's very frustrating, and 
like I get frustrated by people who act that way too. So it's like it it's just you can't not take a side. I mean, obviously you can and they didn't, but it's just not choosing a side means you're okay is with this side? is makes makes it obvious that you're okay with the status quo and like you're okay with whatever injustice is what's happening right now. Yeah, you're just perpetuating the current violence and basically assisting it in some way. Yeah. Yep. Not a centrist podcast here. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. <laughs> um, I like, and I think too, just to like build off that a bit, and I mean, we'll try not to go like too, too far down this rabbit hole because we do have a, a Star Trek episode to discuss, but like, not like the Federation in a lot of ways, like, benefits from maintaining the status quo and like a lot of it like it's it's centering like their own feelings and not it's it's more about them than it is about i think a more kind of greater kind of moral sense of empathy and compassion for for other folks it's like oh we're we're not going to interfere because it's 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 wrong and it just uh yeah no i'm just repeating what y'all said so i'm gonna stop before i I get even (laughs) further into my feelings i mean we all feel it it's good it's okay (laughs) yeah anya you had um some things to say about some of our um, friends that really weren't in part of the main plot do you want to so um Jadzia's hair update. Yes, we always <laughs> need a hair update. I was really excited because it looked like we had reduced the bump it, and I do think that we reduced it, but from yeah. a side view, it's still there. And I don't know, it's just like in the middle of her head. Like we're giving her a very sister wife look, and I'm <laughs> not at all here for that. Yeah, She's so beautiful I, I that agree. she can pull it off, but oh man, I really appreciate in later seasons where they just like, just look it back and put it in a ponytail. It's low. Yeah. Bread on it. It, it kind of, I feel like early on, it looks like there's like a piece, there's like something like underneath it, like keeping it that high. Yeah. I feel like, like they, they brush it like back a, and then put like a bump it. Yeah. <laughs> Twist it. <laughs> Pop it. Pull it. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. I just got a vision of, um, there's this episode of Gilmore Girls where they, two people are arguing and they bring out the bop it to like get them off topic but they end up just breaking the bop it because they're so angry at each other and anyway so the um non-confrontational mediation that didn't take sides didn't work yeah exactly. I, <laughs> <laughs> I love that you drew that conclusion from that <laughs> amazing um, i guess the later things i have to oh no 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 i do have to say about when Kaiopaka leaves, she gives her ornate uh, necklace to O'Brien to give to his daughter, which I appreciated. I love when we acknowledge Molly O'Brien, you know? <laughs> yeah. I love that her. Felt, I said this later, but that felt very... I didn't realize that the first time around, and I, it really... Um, it did make me think of, like, gr- you know, like a grandmother, like, giving their things away because they know they're going to die. Mm. <laughs> anyway yeah. not to bring it down but but yeah I was excited for a little bit of a Molly reference even though they didn't say her name yeah and I guess I might want to revisit Dax and O'Brien when we get later in the plot okay 
Cisco trying to work with the Prime Directive is lovely. I love him. Um, I mean, like he's he's trying, but you can tell he's frustrated by it. So that's oh yeah, totally. Also, I've been calling him Captain because he will always be my Captain, but he's Commander at this point. That's my bad. Um, also, just sort of seeing the similarities between how he described himself as like a young man in earlier episodes and Kira's current tendencies, temperament, um, kind of makes me see why they would work together so well. Aside from their like obvious chemistry already, but I can I feel like they have similar like the initial response is usually action in terms of like what they want to do. Right, I got what you're saying. Yeah. Before we move on to the talking about the Ennis, did anyone have anything else to say about any intro stuff, initial thoughts? Um, well, we're going to get to the Kai, so a lot of what I have to say about Kai Opaka's... I don't know, I love my lovely space Pope. Pope. You know, she's <laughs> probably the best Kai we see, in my opinion. Um, I, I agree. She uh, has the sort of subdued, subdued, sassy philosophy teacher vibe, um, which I enjoy. And I feel like as we watch her sort of getting ready to go on the mission and like advocating for continuing to go you sort of know exactly what's happening. She'd already discussed prophecy. Um, yeah. And so you can tell that her intentions are sort of to prepare them for what's to come. Right. Yep. I just, like, my only kind of other thought, I mean, we can, maybe I'm jumping ahead to, like, the Apaka section, but it's just, like, I wanted to know what the prophecy that she was trying to interpret, like, what it was. It just kind of, it's like, yeah but you know i agree um jonathan banks yeah i so one of my friends was watching this episode ahead and i had i don't know i know that actor's face but i i don't know him that well i didn't watch um i guess he's on breaking bad mm-hmm. i haven't seen that that's okay <laughs> thank you <laughs> uh, I thought it was really lucky that um, Bashir was there when the Kai arrived so he was able to like grab a seat on the runabout <laughs> that was real convenient for them to have a doctor um, when yeah. they landed <laughs> the prophets uh, knew this and uh, they asked the Kai to come specifically when she would bump into him we're coming back to Kai again, my god um, but... no you're fine <laughs> It's hard to separate the two stories, but the two, like, parts of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of found it interesting that um, Cisco kept describing this moon that the Ennis um, were stuck on as a penal colony. And there was no one... I guess I got confused about who was running the satellites. So it doesn't, like... Was it the Nolanis that had the satellites, or was it just like the original planet that they came from was like running these satellites to keep them there? My interpretation was the original planet. Okay. Yeah. I got like a yeah, very because, Australia vibe from all of it. Because my like, I think when Jonathan Banks is I- explaining their incarceration to to Cisco, it's like you know very ha- like the Ennis and the Nolanis are like basically 
blood enemies. Like it's very like Hatfield and McCoy. So it's like if the U S government got tired of their feud and put them on a, on a penal moon just to get rid of them because they couldn't broker the peace. So just to like move them, like just put away the problem and have them basically locked in eternal combat. And like this really like, I mean, prisons are inhumane in general in, in, in most, if not all cases. Um, and this is just like to the nth degree. Right. Um, so yeah, so they were, so the, the world government, put them here because they couldn't sort out their shit so they yeah. condemned them to eternal suffering yeah <laughs> the it kind of reminded me or i i'm realizing now it kind of reminded me of like return of the king where like those ghosts that helped aragorn um fight Oh, that broke their their oath with Gondor, yeah. and then yeah, yeah, and like how they um, they helped them, and then they were finally like at peace. And I felt kind of sad that the Ennis and the Noel Ennis could never just be at peace because they can't resolve their shit. Yes, the Army of the Dead. Yes, they are called. And... Isn't that the name of that new movie? <laughs> um. Also known as the Dead Men of Dunharrow or Oathbreakers, where men of the White Mountains cursed to remain in Middle Earth by Isildur after they abandoned their oath to aid him in the War of the Last Alliance. Sounds like someone they haunted. <laughs> they haunted the caverns beneath the Dwinneborg in the Valley of Heroda. Anyways, yeah. Thank you, the one wiki to rule them all. <laughs> I was really, um, like, I thought you were just rattling that off from memory. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> oh man, Matt, you should have let us think that. <laughs> no, I was very clear that I was reading it. Uh... So no one can die on this moon, and um, that's kind of crazy. And they all look like hell. Like it looks like they still like had scars from all their injuries. Yeah, they also had really sort of rudimentary weapons to some extent. Or yeah, see in action are so I wasn't sure just like how advanced they were technologically. Right, because I had imagined once you're put on this penal colony without like many supplies, you unless you had like a scientist there, you wouldn't be able to come up with like new new tech technology. I would imagine. Yeah, like they didn't even have basic medical supplies. Like they were super. Bashir was very happy he had his equipment with him. So yeah, yeah. The uh, the quote: "When you cease to fear death, the rules of war change. You'll understand as the years begin to pass." Major, um, made me think. Oh, what did it make you think? I don't know. I feel like the death drive is not the death drive, but like the fear of death is sort of very informative to the human experience. It's sort of what makes you value the passage of time and experience in general. So to think about how it would sort of change your value of like even the unpleasant things was odd. Also just sort of how the series progresses and how the stakes raise in the future. And I don't know that Kira's real position towards what she's willing to do changes that much if you're in what she's willing to do to sort of protect the people she feel she feels need protecting changes right. i guess 
in relation to Kira, it's a strange, it's an interesting quote to think about because of how much she seems to value life. Yeah, I I see what you're saying. How do you guys feel about this? Their original planet just dropping them on this penal colony for them to just relive all of this like do do you think that this feels like cruel and unusual punishment yeah like it feels like a lot (laughs) like it feels like it doesn't fit the quote-unquote crime of what they were supposedly guilty of penal colonies in general seem pretty terrible yeah one that's never-ending seems exceptionally terrible yeah in star trek when penal colonies are mentioned i always think of aurora pende in the undiscovered country although that one was also like a work camp um i feel like the idea of that just being relived over and over again just would be really awful yeah, I mean, what- on top of the awfulness of just being there the one time, you know, until you die the first time. Yeah, um, Cisco says whatever crimes they've committed, they've paid a hundred times over, which, yes. I mean, I feel like there has to be, like, at least a, like, okay, you guys, you're good. I almost got the feeling that, like, where they were, the planet that sentenced them just sort of left and was not in touch anymore at all, like, wasn't monitoring it. Right, right, right. Yeah, I guess if the way the microbes were working, that they couldn't leave the that moon was, like, all that they needed to do to keep those people there. Like, they didn't need, they probably felt like they didn't have to monitor it anymore. That's so gross. Ugh. It really is really gross. I found it really, and this goes back to the quote that you mentioned about when you cease to fear death. It really is interesting how Kira is like infuriated with the fact that they're not defending themselves to her standards. You know, she points out that they don't have any guards. There's no security when the runabout arrived. Um, And, you know, Shala says that they used to be better at defending themselves, but the fact that they can't die or like they don't, they don't feel fear death anymore really changed their outlook on that. But I, I do wonder, like you were saying, Anya, like whether, I mean, we won't know because Kira is not actually in that situation. But like, I do wonder how she would react like decades down the line if she was in that situation. Oh, for sure. Um, I don't know. I feel like Kira's will to survive is so strong that it's hard to imagine her not using it (laughs) like you know what I mean right Mm -hmm. but I mean yeah she clearly wasn't just you know uh a PA if she was that (laughs) advanced in terms of being able to immediately have a better plan yeah before we get to the Kai I just wanted to mention that you know obviously Cisco attempts to help everyone by saying you know we'll transport you off of this moon and then julian does some research and realizes that the microbes that are keeping everyone alive after they've died and come back cannot work off of this moon so basically the two groups are just stuck there um and i I found it really interesting when Julian made that joke about jailbreaking them off of the moon 
And Cisco gets very serious and says that he doesn't need Julian to interpret the prime directive to him. But I really didn't think that's what Julian was doing. I think he was just like making a, just an off comment. Right. But I, sorry, go ahead, Anya. Um, I agree, but I also feel like it was important to Cisco to sort of reiterate what the goal was, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think sense. Julian steps in it a lot, like we've talked about before, and he's young and doesn't know better. Like I think it was like very much like a teachable moment, and like yeah, Julian's making a joke out of it, but I think that that joke is coming from from maybe not the best place, where it, like you know what I mean, where it's like, but we can't do, that. and it goes back to what we were talking about in terms of like the Federation ethos of moral relativism right and cisco being the man that he is calls it out as like it's like calling out a bad joke that's not funny or has like negative or like shitty connotations like so like good on good on ben in that moment oh. <laughs> i guess i'm shitty because i was laughing <laughs> well no i'm completely joking no i'm i'm i said that as a joke to make you feel bad I'm completely fine. Well, it worked. <laughs> I'm completely fine with the fact that I feel that Julian was just being silly. And maybe, obviously, it was not maybe, but obviously it was a very serious moment and he shouldn't have been joking around. But it still made me laugh. Fair. Um, fair. And then la my last thought on this is that it is interesting that Julian kind of decides like, well, maybe I should let them die and like that way to ease their suffering. And then Shala is just like, oh yeah, that would be great. We can just kill all of our enemies. And then I just, it, in in the last bit of the, their storyline, you know, the Ennis was, were still trying to fight the Noel Ennis and they were not going to let any, their enemies couldn't be in peace either. They had to you they still wanted to overcome them and it just makes me think that this is going to go on for another 50 years well i mean they have the kai there now so perhaps she'll be That's able true. to intercede. help them yeah um i do wonder what the like before they figured out about the microbes the general plan of sort of like transporting them back took a lot of faith in their ability to not attack each other like i'm just imagining them both stepping onto ds9 and like going into quarks and immediately getting into a bar fight with each other right well i think part of the issue part of the plan was that they were going to put them in different countries like different planets right and then um, i'm like then there's more so more settling in other places <laughs> i don't know it's it, it just seems like a cycle of are they gonna fight over land with a new group Mm. Maybe Although they can live in a hollow suite together forever, you know. <laughs> Although I guess the Federation, um, and this is also kind of where it feels relevant to what's been talked about in the news the last few weeks. If the Federation would try to find a place for them that people don't already exist or are not already living on. Yeah. But, um, who knows? <laughs> uh, <But>, um, yes. 
All right. So I think before we move, or as we move into the, the the meat of the episode and talking about all the Kyle Paca stuff, I did want to read from the Deep Space Nine Bible because Kyle Pocket is listed as one of the the reoccurring characters. A lot of it touches on what her role is in the pilot, but I just think on how this episode ends and Kyle Paca staying on the the moon to kind of work with the the norse and the el norse i keep confusing their names i apologize ennis? but i think it's a good place ennis the ennis and the null ennis thank yes. you elise um, i wrote all the names down start, this time <laughs> read this section it's because i'm not in the notes i'm in the bible that that's got why. it i understood um, so kyle paka the spiritual leader of bajor who provides sharp who provides sharp counterpoint to the secular nature of starfleet she challenges conventional human logic the kai explores her guest pa roughly translated energy meridian through deep tissue massage of their ears that seems to reveal their true nature. Apaka tells Cisco in the opening episode that the commander is on a personal journey and that he has been, he has been sent to Bajor to find the celestial temple of the prophets, the source of the mysterious orbs. Spoiler alert for the pilot, he found it and it's the wormhole that they flew in, through in this episode. When Sisko investigates, he discovers the wormhole and the aliens who built it. The Kai seems to have an awareness on a higher plane of consciousness, knows things she cannot possibly know. Although our people do not accept her powers at face value, we cannot always explain them either. She speaks in a vague, mystical, and indirect language, forcing the listener to seek her meaning. That sounds like Opaka. It does. Love her. I don't think I realized when I was watching the episode the first time earlier in the week how early in the episode the Kai is talking about her fate and prophecy. Like, I, I can't. But, and then it was so obvious when I was rewatching it. Like, when she gives the necklace to O'Brien for Molly, as I said earlier, it feels like someone is dying and giving their stuff away. But yeah, I agree with you, Matt, what you said before is I really want to know what prophecy she's talking about in this episode. Yeah. And like, I mean, they obviously didn't like list it or explore it. I guess it ultimately doesn't doesn't matter. Right. But like, and I think we've talked about it before. Like for me, like one of the things I do appreciate of Deep Space Nine is the exploration of kind of like spirituality and meaning and the way in which air quotes humanity people aliens whomever like are meaning seekers and meaning creators and like there's a really good episode that comes up in a future season that really kind of dives into kind of like prophecy and interpretations of prophecy and things like that um so excited to kind of get there and talk about that but just would have been would have been nice to have some like insight into kind of what opaka was looking for and what she was like interpreting and instead of just being kind of this this vague mystical character that is kind of almost kind of like really tropey and like withholding and it would have been nice to have i think more of a a three-dimensional sense of her as a person because this is really her only like second appearance and again she has a big role in the pilot i'm talking about her her political role and how she can like you know be a being factored in reuniting Bajor, you know, and all these kind of like factional conflicts that exist after the, the Cardassian occupation. And now Opaka's gone. So it creates that kind of like vacuum. It's like they set this up and then 
what are we 12 episodes in um she's gone so it's just i think it sets up like interesting points for like the drama and bajoran politics it just would have been nice to i think spend more more time with her in a way i feel like what about you anya oh sorry oh sorry go i was just gonna not so go first but it was right about what you were saying i kind of almost feel like she reminds me of the oracle in the matrix where she like tells you what you need to know to like make your next decisions where like you might not get the whole picture but like she kind of helps you on your way totally that was all i had to add (laughs) for that Mm. anya what did you think of apoc in this episode um I think it's interesting. Um, She may not be like a fully rounded character, but I feel like they give a lot of moments where you can see that she's less stoic than she's, I guess, supposed to be in the role, like as a person, and it has to sort of put up a front. Um, In terms of, I don't know, I feel like that cute little winking moment of I don't get out much is illuminating. Yeah. um, yeah, I feel like she's probably really fun, but the role of Kai is a difficult one and has a lot of expectations and can be limiting. Yeah, she probably doesn't get to just be her her true self all the time. Yeah. Her personal self. She has to be her role. Without a doubt. I think um maybe it's sort of a good way to sort of segue into like the way that Cisco will have to deal with his role as emissary, you know, as sort of like the function of the role and the expectations versus the person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the way that she sort of just looked upon with this sort of like awe and sort of joy with between Cisco and um, Kira was, it was just really nice to see them happy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, you can see you can you were able to tell on her face how happy she was when Cisco decided to take her through the wormhole. Like she looked almost disappointed before that that she wasn't going to see it, you know. Mm. And it just it just I loved that she was curious. Without a doubt. Um Beta Cannon has like a really interesting journey for her. If you want to check it out, she ends up like working with a Tosk at some point. It's great. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. I'll have to look that up. Um, let me see what else I wrote for her. Um, yeah, I feel like she's definitely sort of trying to get Cisco ready for what his coming journey will be in the brief time she has with him. Yeah, I can see that. Are we ready to talk about the scene with, with Kira realizing yeah. that the Kai is dead? Oh, God. This private woman who looks really short because the rest of the cast is over six feet can fit so much trauma in her. Yeah. I just... There was some... Nana acted so well in this episode. Um, The hysterical crying when she she was... It sounded like she was praying over the Kai. It just felt like exactly how Kira would act in this situation and it just felt really like all her hope was gone in that moment. Yeah, she talks about how like she thought 
in part for the Kai during the occupation and like to have her die on a distant moon for no real reason um, was crushing and it's devastating to even think about, you know? Yeah. Like you wouldn't want the Kai to, no, you wouldn't want anyone to die in vain, but obviously the Kai was very important to her. Not to imply that some people's lives have are more important than others because I don't believe that, but to Kira, the Kai is very so important. So wait, are you saying all lives matter? Matthew. <laughs> that is not what I'm saying. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Here I am talking about Bashir making shitty jokes, and that's all I'm doing now. I apologize. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that was really funny, though. <laughs> You know it's bad when I call you Matthew. <laughs> oh my god. So like, oh my god, the Kai's not dead. Okay, so <laughs> I really liked when Opaka walks into the Ennis like oh, yeah. of the cave. And she's great. kind of like in shadow. And it just was like... And like listeners, we talked about before, my my like religious background is like in like Lutheran like Protestantism, or whatever. So like that is kind of my like my frame of reference for a lot of kind of like religious imagery and stuff because it's the context in which I was brought up in. But as she's like walking through the mouth of the cave and some shadow and silhouette, it felt very like Easter adjacent, um, and kind of like walking out of the the empty tomb and like you know. Whereas, I mean, anytime you have a, a religious figure resurrected, that's my, my background and upbringing is going to come out and interpret that. Like, you know, there's, <laughs> there's lots of um, lots of examples of kind of like resurrection myths and stuff like that over, over history and in various mythologies and things like that. But it was just, it was probably like one of my favorite shots of this episode. It was just, it was really cool. It was like really kind of powerful, yeah, and like mystical, and like all these all these good things. I had taken a picture of it yesterday. And I sent it to you in Snapchat, and then I realized that because I took the picture in Snapchat, it didn't fit like save on my phone. So I'm like looking to find a picture of it because I just loved it so much. Also, which I guess then is a good reminder. So if there's a website that listeners will be familiar with it's trekcore.com and they have screen caps of well probably not every star trek episode yet because as the the blu-rays and stuff like that get get released for the the new shows they they do it as they go it's like an ongoing project but because deep space nine's an older one of the older shows because that they've been going through they will have screen caps of everything in deep space nine and they have different audio captures oh, and I had no the star idea. trek sounds and and things like that so yeah definitely worth worth checking out and you can can kind of go through there wow yeah i'm looking at it now this is really cool i'm gonna play with that later <laughs> I love it for like my like D-list characters who I love dearly who who just sort of need to make the content yourself. I can't believe I didn't know about this. Not that I like know about everything, but this is really amazing. I am going to utilize. Anyway. Yeah, it was really handy um when I 
couple of years ago when I contributed a blog post to like the Women at Warp blog. Oh right. Um, that's where I, like, we grab the the screen caps for like the pictures. So they're like the, a, the you're al- they're allowing you to use it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I'll definitely use that for for the for the social media <laughs> of our podcast. Yeah. No, you've been so good at finding those screenshots. I just kind of assumed you. Oh were no, I was getting them from where me- you were grabbing them. No, I was getting them from Memory Alpha. Okay. But cool. I feel like the ones on this website are better. All right, so sorry, we got a little bit off track there. No, Annie. you're fine. Let's let's talk about the 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 convo with with Kira. You mentioned it. You mentioned it before, and I'm I'm curious to dive deeper into it now. Oh, yeah. um, yeah, the, Anya, you had a lot to say about this. <laughs> oh boy, do I! It's the, it's the reason I was like, <laughs> "Hey, that episode." Um, <laughs> oh boy. Okay, let me get to my notes because half of them are just transcribed because I love it so much. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a. It starts out with Kira's, you know, like desire to be seen accurately by the Kai. You know, she's very afraid that because you know. Kira has Kira essentially is a child of war um, and has had to fight her entire life, but doesn't is not a violent person, and it very much scares her to be perceived that way by her religious leader. You know, by someone whose perception of her matters so much to some extent to her own self image, um, which I think is a popular PTSD thing, um, and. So, again, it sort of starts off with, you know, I've always fought to stay alive. I'm not content to die. Um, and I don't enjoy any of this. Um, but she's able to sort of consider, you know, her past actions as the past. She doesn't consider it to be part of who she is, even though she sort of snaps right back into it when needed. Um, and so... Kaiopaka checks her paw and shows Kira that she knows exactly who she is. And um, we all cry during this scene. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the Kai yeah, is I super cried. reserved, not sort of big reacting to Kira prior to this. She's actively listening, but she's not, you know, trying to say, like, oh, I see you correctly. She knows that she can do it with Pa. Um, and then I have, I have a lot of takes on don't deny the violence inside you only when you accept it can you move beyond it. Because I think that it's important to sort of separate, you know, the darker things from you, from your self-perception of what you are inherently. Um, but I think you also can own them. It's sort of a dialectic thing. Um, uh, and she goes on to sort of acknowledge that within the eyes of the prophets, we are all children. Um, and yeah, seeing Kira melt because it's it's hard to imagine the last time that Kira would have been shown, you know, this sort of level of affection from anyone or that right, she right, would, right. yeah. I don't know. I feel you like can... Kira has to put up a front so often. And oh, I haven't even gotten to the line, you know, like I'm afraid the prophets won't forgive me. And um they already have forgiven you, you need to forgive yourself. That's not exactly what she says, but it's close. And um, I think self-forgiveness is probably the most difficult type of forgiveness. It's. Yeah, I really, I really loved that scene, too. Like how we treat ourselves is so important. Matt's actually always reminding me to forgive myself and to be nice to myself. And he must have gotten that wise advice from Kaiopaka. 
I mean, it was from my therapist. What is Kaiopaka, if not the therapist, to the entire Bajoran people? Um, I know that that scene and that line is sort of applied to the LGBT experience pretty frequently, but I think it's just a great reflection of sort of the sense of self after any trauma. Um, I don't know. I find Kira to be a great representation of PTSD and that scene is just really powerful. Yeah, I agree. Just like the things we carry, right? And that we don't even realize like how heavy it is and we kind of just compartmentalize things and like even like form our identities like based on that. It's like Kira at the beginning being like upset that that file was so so raw on her and like just defining herself based on the violence and just yeah no and like learning that you don't have to carry those things in the same way or that those things don't have to define you is so so powerful but like also so so scary to like unburden of that because like when we define ourselves by various traumas or our responses to trauma or or, or whatever it just we want to be free of that and when we are free of that it's like well then who am i now like what am i who am i supposed to like it just it's it's powerful and difficult stuff yeah, I think it's it's really important to talk about sort of self-perception in regards to trauma and your reactions and how it really colors everything in terms of your future actions and how you can forgive yourself and acknowledge your being. I do I do agree with what you were saying earlier Anya about um maybe separating some of that from like who you are as a person. Because I think a lot of times TV shows or media fall falls into the trope of like all the shit that we go through is makes us stronger and like that kind of I don't like that because it, it implies yeah. that like we were we were built to withstand all this trauma that might be coming our way and I think that can be very dangerous. Um, and I do agree that like that things like trauma should be looked at separately also from like who we are as people mm. absolutely I think it's also just sometimes pain is just pain that might be a Carrie Fisher quote um, but yeah and there can always be value in like reassessing and analyzing your actions but the belief that it gives you like extra strength to be able to with endure is in toxic in my opinion. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So the Kai is gonna stay here on this moon and it's I found it interesting. I mean she obviously knows, you know, before Cisco has a chance to tell her. And she'd been hinting at it the whole time. Yeah. I hope I hope she does help these groups. I believe she can, you know, it's, you've got all the time in the world, so. Yeah, if anyone can, it could be her. Yeah. Um, they don't know how to do anything else but die, they've forgotten how to live. 
um, was a quote, I believe that Kira said. I um, think so. Yeah. And at one point, Kira questions the Kai's decision to stay behind, which I thought was amazing because it's Kira, but I think that, you know, she's brilliant and I love her. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and the Kai departs with the line, but your pod, mine will cross again to Cisco, which is great. I love that line. Yeah. I don't remember. Do we see Kayapaka ever again? Or is this her last? I believe she's at least used as a form by the prophets. Okay. And I think that the that implication is for something very far in the future. Mm, got it. I just don't remember. There's a lot of Deep Space Nine, so I definitely don't blame you. <laughs> and I've only seen it all once, so... Except for what we've covered on this podcast. Does if anyone I'm being honest, have... I watched, I watched, I did an abridged watch for the first time around, so I probably need to watch, like, <laughs> the entire thing. Right. I would, like, watch it and then, like, sometimes be working on other things at the same time, so. I feel like watching it now for the podcast, I'm giving it more attention. Does anyone else have anything um, to add before we get into our final segment? I think we covered a lot. Yeah, no, sorry, I'm just in my, in my feelings, I'm in my head. Let's do Star Trek. <laughs> That's okay. And thus brings us to one of our regular scheduled se- segments, our Altair Water Thirst Quencher, where we take a long, deep drink because we are thirsty bitches. So Elise, we'll start with you. Who are we thirst- you thirsting for this week? Um, I feel weird saying this because like we were literally just talking about how Kira was like emotional and crying but at the beginning of the episode when she's really angry about how she's described in the Cardassian files and she was like screaming like I'm like basically saying like I'm just an errand girl (laughs) I was I was like really into how like feisty she was about it and I was like you tell him, sister. <laughs> anyway, I, I thought she was hot in that moment. Well, and it was really cute, too, the kind of the 180 she does from that moment when yeah. Cisco's like, okay, when you're done feeling underappreciated, <laughs> the space pope is here. The leader of your religion and is here. Do you want to like, go meet her? And she, like, calmed down immediately. Yeah. Which I thought well, was yeah. the power of Kaiopaka. <laughs> yeah, Kira's reaction to the burn book is, I believe my notes said, so valid and sexy and relatable. So that was. I love. I love that you're calling it a burn book. It's cracking me it's up. It's what it is. Like, do we no, think I know. is anything more effective than Regina George? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Who are you guys thirsting after? Matt. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my, I also feel a little weird about it, Elise, but that would have been my nominee for the episode as well. So that we love, you you can pretty much just assume in any given episode of Deep Space Nine, unless one of the characters is doing something very egregious that, uh, um, it's either going to be Kira or, or Bashir for me for any (laughs) given episode. What about you, Anya? So, um, 
I, I thought about making care of mine, but then uh, Bashir got like into a, he became angry, sexy doctor Bashir when he landed. <laughs> and he was like, I could have my medical case, please. And I was like, yes, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Anya would have given him anything in that moment. <laughs> yes. I, Derek's taste is impeccable um, most of the time. Eh. It was pretty <laughs> awesome when he like protected his commander in that other scene where like someone was like going for Cisco and he like pushed him out of the way. Like that was very heroic too. Yeah, I have that down for um another segment we're about to do. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's mm-hmm. good. <laughs> well, since we are in the, getting to that segment, um, we also. Anya, why don't you tell us your most Star Trek thing of the episode? Um, I love that a lot of our notes here overlap, which is... Um, so Julian jumping onto Cisco to save him from the axe after figuring out some science stuff felt very classic Trek to me. The, um, I'm sorry, Commander, but I've discovered we can't afford to die here. Not even once. <laughs> that um, line really made me laugh. Yeah. Uh, with... <laughs> It's followed by some classic Star Trek babble, concluded with, it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love this year. I love the scene earlier in the episode where they're, like, about to land on the moon, and, like, obviously they're being attacked by the satellites, and, like, they do the thing where everyone, like, moves and jostles around at the same time, and Kaiopaka just looks like she's doing, like, a funky dance. Like, she's, yes. kind of like, moving her whole, like, upper body. I'm doing it right now, that not that anyone could see. But that felt very Star Trek. There's always, like, a group jostling that happens. And it's great. With the steam, it was so good. Yeah. I just like the word jostling, also. <laughs> My most Star Trek thing about the episode was the uh, cave set on the moon, where on the prison moon. Cause I didn't, I should have looked it up, but I, I didn't, but I feel like it's that, that very kind of classic. There was, I can't remember what stage it was on the Paramount lot, but like it was the one that they nicknamed planet hell, like from TNG. And so like, you see like they used it a lot for various landscapes and various different planets and things like that. And it just felt very like 90 Star Trek rock kind of <laughs> planet with like lightning and different, yeah. different things like that. So it was just felt like Star Trek. <laughs> Or laser tag, depending on how you were looking at it. (laughs) (laughs) Did we do it? I think we did. I think we did it. It's a podcast. (laughs) Anya, thank you so much for guesting again. We'll have to have you back again. This has been great. But in the in the meantime, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Um, I'm Anya893 on Twitter and Anya oh man. It's equal with, I think, like, four E's, maybe five on Instagram. Let me double check that. That's my, like, nerdy costume stuff. Um, It's great nerdy costume stuff. I have a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It is... See, it's good I checked, because it's equal with five E's. I'm going to have to make that a note for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Elise, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. And you can find our show on Twitter and Instagram at Podrates, P-O-D-W-R-A-I-T-H-S. And you, Matt? 
great. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mattyhugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. And you can also catch me talking about Mad Men on my Mad Men podcast, Still Great Bob. If you want to email the show, we are at we are at podrates at gmail.com. Please rate and review on the podcasting system of your choice. Um, again, thank you to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. Until next time, we'll see you out there. Computer and program. Bye. Bye. <laughs>